I remember the doctors came in for the first time into the room and they're like, this is what happened. You had five, six hour surgery. Uh, we fused you at C6 and seven. And we think you're an incomplete quad, which I've been like, what? I have no idea what that means. And then they say, Joe, you're not going to walk again. And I was like, what? And now for the next episode of Letters from Home, sending encouragement to your doorstep by capturing the heartbeat of God's people one story at a time. Hi, it's Meg Gleesner, your host. A boating accident. Can you imagine at age 19, waking up from surgery to the doctors telling you that you will never walk again? Such a solemn moment. Now a paraplegic. Today's guest brings us on his journey of transformation. From college athlete to paraplegic. From angry to surrendered. From bitter to forgiveness and blessing. From the hospital bed to the Paralympics. His drive and faith are palpable and will leave you so inspired. Here is the everyday extraordinary Paralympian for Team Jesus, Joe Delagrave. Joe, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast today. We got to meet over on Clubhouse. How cool is that? Maybe in 50 years, somebody's going to go, or five years. What is Clubhouse? Well, you'll have to Google that one. <laughs> it's really amazing. But just being in that uh, room with you where we were both sharing parts of our story, I just instantly thought I need to have Joe on the podcast if he's willing. And you're like, amen, let's do it. So here we are, Joe, welcome. Here we are. Yeah, let's rock and roll with this thing. Amen. You know, you've been through a lot. Life isn't easy for most of us and probably a little harder for you in some ways. But, you know, we all have a story and that has made us who we are today. And mm. I love your attitude. And can you bring us right into your home and what it was like growing up, Joe? Bringing me into the home. Well, I was raised, uh, my mom was in my life. My stepdad, who I called dad, was there as well. He was my dad since I was about four years old. And then I had two older sisters. So I, I always joke I knew how to French braid before I knew how to like dribble a basketball or anything like that uh, <laughs> with older sisters and, and, and my mom. And, but we were born and raised in a Christian home. My mom was raised in a Christian home as well. But when she was pregnant with my oldest sister, she just kind of quit everything cold turkey, quit smoking, drinking everything, just like turned her life to Jesus. And she's the type of mom, like growing up in the home, I always joke, she's, she's the type of mom that like, if you'd bring home really hard math homework, she'd be like, Jesus has the answer. And I'm like, well, that's not going to get me an A on this. So like, <laughs> that's not going to work, mom. Like, I understand where you're going. I understand where your heart is, but like, that's not going to work. But no, she just uh, really instilled in us values of, of Christianity and, and a relationship with Jesus. And, and one of the most amazing things that I always remember is my mom reading scripture to us at night when we go to bed all throughout my childhood reading at night. Some of it was really boring at the time. I was going like, this King James version is putting me to sleep. I think that was probably the point, like get to bed there, bucko. <laughs> uh, but no, that's, that's kind of the childhood. Well, Joe, I know you are an athlete and you have been an athlete since childhood. And I know that is a huge part of your journey. So where did your love for sports 
begin? Yeah, I was just, I think I was born with it. I remember seeing pictures of, you know, a glove or maybe a golf club or whatever, like whatever it is, and really loved affirmation that I got from coaches that built in constructive criticism or that built in feedback that you'd get. And then, hey, I'm going to do a really good job. And then you get praise or, or I did a bad job and you don't get praise. And, and looking back, I think that was partly because that's just one of my love languages. And then, and then secondly, my dad wasn't in the picture in my life. And so I think, you know, in my, in my stepdad was there, but, but I think I just really wanted that affirmation from coaches and, and really desired that. And so growing up, it was basketball, football, baseball. And in middle school, I did track and swimming as well. I did plays and musicals. I joke that, you know, Pirate Number Seven was a really big part in the Pirates of Penzance play. Uh, like that was like Pirate Number Eight, like that guy's a loser. But Pirate Number Seven, man, one step away from Broadway, basically. So now, like, I just love being a part of something that's bigger than myself and fitting in. And, and as far as like, you know, where do I fit in the puzzle? Am I a leader or am I a role player or whatever it is? And so like that. That part of it's always fascinated me from the chess standpoint of strategy in different games. And and so my goal in high school was to make it to college and, and be a college athlete. Being part of a team can be so special. There's purpose, there's focus, there's drive, something to focus on with your body, your mind, your everything, your academics, everything kind of fits toward a goal, right? So what was your relational dynamic like in, in high school? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean... My sisters would sometimes get a little jealous of, because I, you know, my mom would buy me all this different sports stuff, and my sisters really didn't weren't involved really in sports that much. But she's like, "Oh, why are you buying Joe all this stuff?" And she's like, "Well, he needs it for this, and he needs it for that, and that whole thing." But, um, but no, they were super supportive of of my sports and would cheer me on. And my mom, which she's always high pitched, and so I was, she, I was like, "Mom, can you not?" yell that loud at games. I know you love me, and but now she'd go there in her big, bright pink coat and cheer me on at the top of her lungs. And, and I'm like, oh. Your face painted on a poster. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, I don't know. It, it be, being a dad now, like, I mean, it's kind of fun to embarrass your kids sometimes. Like, it's, it's I have a little joy in that. But uh, but no, I, I was definitely supported there. And then as far as my friend group and everything, I tended to to just like hanging out with whoever, I, I, whether it was there's, you know, usually it's like the jocks and then like the theater nerds. And I, and I would do, and I would hang out with both groups because I was in both things. And so I was just like, you guys have this weird dynamic going on and I don't get it. And I was a big, I think a pretty big lovable teddy bear ended up becoming the prom King in high school and that whole thing. So like, yeah. <laughs> so like it was, it was, uh, I really enjoyed people and, it didn't really matter to me what group they were in or if you were popular or not or whatever it would be like, just, just love people. Where was your faith at in high school years? Was that a formative time for you as far as growing in your faith and owning it as your own? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I loved going to, we were in church on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, that, that, that type of thing. Sometimes not by choice. Like I was like, Hey, I got a lot of stuff, but um, that was something that my mom had us do. And so it was a battle. Like just being honest and, and as a teenager growing up, you're trying to make it your own, but then it's more of like, well, my parents are making me or is it tradition and, you know, that whole thing, but definitely had a relationship with Jesus growing up and, you know, remembering like 
him talking to me and you know at 13 years old i'm at a district youth conference we went to this big district youth conference in wisconsin and i remember god telling me i'm going to be a speaker someday at 13 and i was like there's no way i'm not i'm not that cool like the guy that was speaking that night i don't remember his name but i remember his jersey he had a, a houston astros jersey on and the astros are really popular back then and i'm like this guy is so cool he has a houston astros jersey there's no way I'm never going to be as cool as him to be up on stage and speak. But I remember just crying that night with some other people from our youth group, which I don't know, tends to happen when you're at youth group retreats, but, but definitely had a relationship with Jesus. But it was just, it was this battle between pleasing people and pleasing God. And, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Are we on fire for God or on fire for what people think? And a lot of times those two don't coexist very well. Totally. Oh, and I can't wait to hear more, more about that down the road. I know we will. And also with speaking, that's pretty amazing that as a 13 year old, God came and tapped you on the shoulder and said, you know what, you're going to be speaking. I like that. So did you get to do college sports? Were any offers coming in? Yeah. So I was pretty, pretty good in, on, in basketball and football. And then got some offers, the D2 and D3 level for both sports and decided to play football and go to Winona State. There's a, a coach named Coach Hiller that recruited me, really liked what he had to say and everything like that. And, and so we ended up going there and getting a scholarship there. And, and, and that freshman year was awesome. Like it was, it was a really fun year. I ended up playing as a true freshman, which means that I didn't have to redshirt and which means I didn't have to get up early and weight train every day with that redshirt freshman. So that was kind of nice. Real cool, right? I mean, you were like way cool. Like, uh, I don't have to look. So, which <laughs> looking back, like I was like, man, these guys are getting jacked. Maybe I should have done the whole lift thing, but, <laughs> but no, it was great. It was a great year and, and it was a historic year for them little than I know at the time. But that whole year, though, like the affirmation and the desire to get that from coaches and teammates and the captains and fit in really took root. And so as my athletic career was taking off, my relationship with Jesus was completely going the opposite way where I didn't get plugged into a church that freshman year. I didn't get plugged into a FCA or athletes in action or anything like that. I was just like, I want to do whatever these guys are doing. If that's a house party, I want to do that. If that's drinking, I want to do that. If that's, you know, whatever it is they're doing and um, that's what I want to do. And so that, that whole freshman year, that's what we did. And for me, I was like, man, I'm living out my dream. I'm, I'm accomplished my goals. I had no idea really what I wanted to do after college, but I was like, this whole thing is amazing. Let's see how far the career can go with, with sports. And, and that's all I had planned. Yeah, it's so easy to be in the moment and and what's funny is I'm sure you're the you're the kid, you know, the the prom king, the the stud athlete that everyone was looking to thinking you were the guy that they wanted to please and here you struggled with all of that insecurity. This entire time I hadn't seen my dad since I was 5. Wow. It was at 18 when he had said, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to get out of prison and come to your high school graduation. He completely, he never showed. And from there, I was like, oh, there's so much bitterness. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to speak to this guy again. Like that was kind of the final straw. You missed my entire childhood, entire childhood. And I was heading from Winona State back down to my hometown of Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin to, to work there for the summer and work out and get ready for the fall football season. So your dad was in jail? Like, how did that affect you as a young man? You had a stepdad who you really liked, but it, were you th 
thinking about your dad and like, did you ever try and like write him a letter or do anything like that? Like what was going on in your heart? Yeah. So all the way through childhood with that, you know, my, my stepdad who I called dad and still call him dad and love him. And he, you know, provided for us and put food on the table. And, um, but I always had trouble with like, I want to have a relationship with my biological father. Like I, I just desired that. And I got, when I, you know, going through sports and you see the dads coaching their kids and, and doing all that, like I, I was, I was so jealous of that and the, of their relationship. I, and they could have had the worst relationship or whatever that, you know, it was, you know, probably 10, 15 different father sons that, and, and, and they could have had half of them could have had terrible relationships. I didn't know, but like, I saw that and I'm like, man, I really wish that my dad would get his act together and, and show up for me. And, and it never happened. And there was times at night that I'd, I'd cry myself to sleep thinking about my dad not being there and, and asking God, like, why, like, why me? And why is this, why, why, why can't I have a relationship with my own dad and, you know, have a dad that's, that's coaching my sports and being there and, and, and cheering me on. And, and my dad did, it wasn't just 15 years straight of prison for some crazy thing. It was choices over and over and over again, whether it was, um, drugs or whether it was check fraud or whether it was, um, you know, slipping back into those things again and, or, you know, not paying his rent. And, and I didn't know this at, at the time, but, you know, going back into it later in life and, and realizing all the different choices that he made to do that and, and continued to make them and continued to make them and then went back into prison and they continued to make them and then went back into, and like the whole thing, you know, for well over 15 years. Do you think that affected, you said in your high school and college years, something you really struggled with was, you know, pleasing others and just find, finding that affirmation outside of you. Do you think your dad not being there has shaped, shaped that part of you a little bit? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's kind of interesting the way God's used it on my heart that like, I, I really, really, really want to see the good in people, no matter what they're going through. And, and, and I mean, over and over again, you see it with Jesus where, where he's seeing the good in people before, and, and he can see the bad in people, obviously, but like seeing the good in people before he starts to correct them or construct them, whether it's the women at the well or whatever it is, he, he could have went straight there and said, no, you're a man, you've got seven different dudes that you're, that you're hanging out with. And now you're on to your eighth and what, and, and instead it's just like, I'm thirsty. Would you get me some water? and saw her as a person, you know? And, and so I think it's for me been something that's, that's been good, but then also that good sometimes can, uh, the enemy can use it and go like, yeah, just, just seek out that approval, seek out that affirmation, seek out that. Um, and, and you need people to tell you that you're valuable. You need people to tell you that you're worthy when really, really all along you get that rooted in Jesus. You get that rooted in your faith and knowing that you're a child of God. Um, but the enemy says like, no, you need, you need this person's approval. And if you don't get it, then you're a failure. If you don't get it, you're a loser. If you don't get it, then you're not good enough. You're less than and whatever it is. So it's definitely a slippery slope for sure. After your dad said, I'll be there. And then he doesn't show up. What kind of change took place in your heart then? Did you just let go of hope? Did you just fully harden yourself and forget him? I don't want to see him. And yeah. Yeah, you can, you can, for sure. There's, there's a hardening of the heart. 
but a lot of times, and you don't even realize that that, that, that bitterness and resentment like overtook everything. You think that you can love, you think that you're good. And, and it's a weird deal because now like bitterness overtakes it and resentment overtakes your heart and becomes hardened. And I'm just like, no. And really, you know, the world says, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, they wronged you. That's okay to be be resentment or be be resentful, or that's okay to be bitter, or that's okay to lash out at that because he deserves it. That's that's what he deserves. Fast forward to college. College is going great. You're a beast athlete. I mean, you're doing really well, and then some major thing happens. To you have a big giant change in your life. So I'm I'm back down in my hometown of Prairie Street, Wisconsin. It's on a it's on the Mississippi River in southwest Wisconsin, which borders Iowa in a small little river town. Everyone does boating activities, kneeboard, jet ski, that whole thing. Uh, you know, water ski, that fish, whatever. Yep. So between freshman and sophomore year, I'm back home in in Prairie Sheen and working for the summer and hanging out. And in that weekend of July 10th, 2004, changed my life. It was. A weekend where my my two best friends growing up on the same street, Ohio Street and Prairie, Kyle and Adam, were back from their respective colleges as well, and and we were each Saturday or Sunday or Friday night, whatever we could get on the river, we did, and so like that was no different. So that Saturday we got on the river that morning and we're kneeboarding. Adam's kneeboarding, Kyle's driving. I'm sitting in the boat, I'm enjoying the nice, beautiful summer day. It's seventy five degrees, partly cloudy, and. I'm going to lean back in the bass fishing chair that has the pole on it and I'm with my hands behind my head and and we're in a back slough and in the back sloughs of the Mississippi, you never know how deep or shallow the water is, um, but it's a lot calmer so it's easier to kneeboard. So that's kind of where we're always back there and we've been back there a hundred times and Kyle accidentally hit the bottom of the river and I flew backwards, hit my head on the front of the boat, inside the boat, and I snapped my neck at the C6 and 7 on impact. Um, six and seven vertebrae down from the base of your skull. So I blacked out and um, woke up and Kyle and Adam are looking over me and their tears are rolling down their face. And, and I'm waking up with excruciating pain from the head injury that I had. I had a big gash in my head where I hit and was just like, guys, like what happened? Where, you know, I'm, my head really, really hurts. We got like, what's going on? And they start asking me if I can move my legs. And I, setting the signal for my brain down through my spinal cord into my legs and nothing happens. And I'm kind of going like, oh, maybe it's a stinger or something's going on. And they asked me to feel my legs and it felt like I was touching someone else's legs. And the whole thing was just kind of an out of body experience. And were you on the shore or were you out in the water still? Um, yeah, just in the boat, uh, in the water. Yeah. And wow. so they called 911 that all three of us were lifeguards growing up. And so we knew not to they knew not to move my neck, but they, you know, called out and they got the, the rescue boat over there and got me from the boat to the rescue boat into the ambulance and to the local hospital where, where Adam's mom is a nurse there still. And mm -hmm. um, she's been a nurse there for 40 years. And so she greeted me and, and, and the family doctors there and they start doing these tests on me and they start poking me um, with a needle. It's called an Asia test. And they poke you at the top part of your body and work their way down just to see where you have feeling and, and so they poke me in the shoulder can you feel that yep i'm good and they start poking me in the shoulder um uh, the, the the arm the 
hit whatever and then and and then lower and lower and as it gets down to the chest i i don't feel anything and then i'm like are you poking me still and they're like yeah joe we are and we 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 think what you've had is a spinal cord injury and you need to go up to lacrosse which is the local bigger hospital in the area and, and med flight you up there and get you into surgery and you're you're coherent the whole time like you weren't feeling pain you were just yeah i was i was feeling excruciating pain but i was aware but unaware of like the gravity of the situation unaware that i was going to be paralyzed or that right. you know what a spinal cord injury was or what c6 and 7 meant or what incomplete or complete quadriplegic meant or anything like that and when i you know med flighted up and i remember them cutting my my clothes to get ready for surgery and i was just like really mad like i just bought those new swimming trunks and like that whole thing like i had no idea what the situation was you know and 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 once i got into surgery i don't remember anything for probably a day or two but they ended up doing like a five to six hour surgery on my neck that fused me from the c6 and seven and then i woke up with a bunch of tubes out of everywhere out of uh, my body parts to pee and um, and tubes to help me breathe and, um, the whole thing and, 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 and woke up and kind of was laying there. And if we could step back for a second, did, yeah, did yeah. your parents, did you get to talk with your parents in the, from the boat on the way to surgery? Was there any kind of conversation with family at this point? Not a whole lot. So my parents met me at the hospital and then they followed the ambulance, uh, or the helicopter, they drove up to Lacrosse, which is about an hour uh, and a half away. And as I was med flighted up there, so they booked it up there. Oh. And 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 I know from you know talking to my mom later on that you know she's praying the whole way that nothing bad is happening. And 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 of course something bad is happening. And of course Adam and Kyle are are devastated. And and you know oh. word gets out. And this is before Facebook and the whole thing. And but you know, word gets out and, 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 and people start, you know, to call my parents and Adam and Kyle and that type of thing. And, but I just remember kind of waking up in the hospital and kind of going like, what is going on? What happened? Yeah. Wow. You woke up and you have all, all the tubes and stuff, you know, what, was, what were you thinking? Cause you also, I'm sure were coming out with some really intense drugs from a very serious surgery. Yeah. So got to backtrack for a second, July 3rd, 2010 i was i was at a basketball camp at the local high school and working as one of the counselors and and i had been working for the city so like i was there and and i had on this don Beebe house of speed shirt and don Beebe was a former buffalo bill and green bay packer and won won the super bowl for the packers after he lost those super bowls with the bills and he's a little white dude that ran around as a, as a receiver but he had this house of speed camp and mm -hmm. i didn't go i just got the shirt from one of our teammates um, in college, I'd forgotten my shirt underneath my pads and I was asking around like different teammates. Hey, do you get, you got like a shirt, do you have a shirt? And our kicker's like, Hey, I got, I got a shirt for you. And I'm like, Oh, great. And he throws it over. Awesome. And I see like house of speed and he's like, ah, you're slow. Cause I was a tight end and they always joked. I was like a cheeseburger away from being a tackle type of deal. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they always like, and even like the receiver coach was, was always like, Hey, you guys joe could get open running his tight end routes and he's slow like why can't you get like and i'm like is that like a backhanded comp like what and but uh but i so i was like you know if this guy's gonna make fun of me i'm gonna i'm gonna keep the shirt so i kept the shirt and then july 3rd 2010 i was uh 2004 i was wearing it and 
I had no idea that the, the counselor was like, hey, what's on your shirt? And I'm like, oh, Don Beebe, House of Speed, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, no, what's that Bible verse on your shirt? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like at that point, I probably hadn't opened my Bible up since I left for college, basically. And he's like, well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, man, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. And I was like, oh, that's really cool, whatever. And uh, I had went home later that day and, and opened my Bible up and, and read that. And, and, and like uh, any Christian knows that verse, I feel like. I feel like it's always, you know, in someone's house or someone's grandma has it. Or like we had it in our bathroom for a while, which is kind of weird. Like I don't think you really need to trust the Lord while you're taking a dump. But like that's, <laughs> that's kind of like, you know, so we, it, yeah, yeah. That, uh, but, but those next couple of days in the hospital, I, re- I remembered that verse and told my sisters about it and they ended mm-hmm. up writing it really pretty and putting on a poster board and putting it on my wall in my hospital room. And that first week, I remember staring at that each day when I wake up and I remember being angry and really frustrated and really mad because as I'm praying and begging and hoping that God's going to change the situation that I'm in. Um, I'm looking at this going, trust the Lord. And I'm like, I don't want to, like, I want to know why I'm in this hospital bed and why I'm paralyzed and why this is happening to me. I'm going, God, like you knew that athletics was my goal and my dream, my identity. Like you've made me like, God, you made me like this. Like this is, I've had this in me forever. Like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, God, you know, like, my dad hasn't been in my life. And then like this, like, 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 God, you know, just the anger and the pain and the mad and the sad and the resentment and the bit, like all of those feelings every day. When I look at that, lean not in your understanding. Like, no, I want to understand. I want to understand God. And as those first couple days, you know, turn into a week and each day I'm hearing that and, looking at that verse i'm just like no 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 like it's just such a battle of that saying this is what you need to do and me saying uh uh-uh. like i want to know what's going on like no god like i i i can't trust in you unless you let me know what's going on um and i feel like a lot of us are like that sometimes like like we have the plan, like, God, I got a plan. I, and if my plan's pretty good, like I got a pretty dialed in plan here, you know, and I've got like 25 slides with the PowerPoint and the whole thing. Like, here you go. Like, Hey, I'll trust in you. Let's just make sure we do this plan here. Uh, and I feel like we do that a lot with God. We're like, nah, like this is what we need to do. And, and, and in hindsight, it ends up being that it doesn't really work out very well for us, but did you have any way to communicate? You said, did you wake up with like, did you have a ventilator or when you woke up, were you able to speak? I didn't have a ventilator. I was able to speak of a little bit. I could remove my right arm just a little bit, but otherwise fully paralyzed. And I remember the doctors came in for the first time into the room and, and they're like, this is what happened. You had five, six hour surgery. Uh, we fused you at C6 and seven. Um, we think you're an incomplete quad, which I've been like, what? I have no idea what that means. But then, and then they say, Joe, I, you're not going to walk again. And I was like, what? What do, what do you mean? They're like, there, there's maybe a 3% chance that you'd ever walk again. 
and you're you're going to be in a wheelchair the rest of your life and and you're going to be going through rehab and this whole thing and and i'm like there's at 19 years old you're already having these questions that's for that swirl around your head that that kind of dominate your headspace and you know like like who are you gonna marry and what what career are you gonna have and what what's that gonna look like do you want kids do you want have and, and when you have this paralysis like everything just amplifies can i do this in a wheelchair is this girl that i'm with gonna stay with me am i gonna be able to have baby like my mom's in the room asking the doctors if i can still have sex because she wants grandkids like i'm like mom get out of my room like this is uh, like absolutely <laughs> give me not. a moment here mom uh, yeah 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 these questions are just dominating my headspace and circling around in my head and and i'm just begging like wiggle a toe move a limb something mm. to make me know that i'm going to be okay and little did I know that that was already there in the room through that Bible verse mm. of trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your past. Like God was working on me each and every day when I wake up through that verse that was on my wall and through the miracle that was in the room. And that miracle that was in the room was the wheelchair. A lot of times we think that our obstacles in life, our circumstances in life, are there to make us struggle when a lot of times our opportunities become real through our obstacles or through our circumstances or through whatever is put in our life. And for me, that was that wheelchair. You know, I looked at it and I'm like, this is less than, this is inadequate, this is disabled, this is non-abled or or um, in, this is insecure. I don't want to be a man with a disability. I don't want to be a man pushing a wheelchair around. And 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 I look at it and just like, oh, you know, a reminder that I'm paralyzed and my dreams are gone. Did your buddies come and visit you in the hospital? And what was it like? Did you have any read on your parents or your sister as far as while the doctor's telling you and your processing, did you pick anything up on them and their reaction my buddies were in the room and and i went to a small little rehab i had nobody else that had spinal cord injury um it was me and then a bunch of stroke patients and so it was just like me isolated but at the same time i was in a small little hospital that was close to my high school friends that would come up and visit me and my coaches that would come up and visit me and it was close to my college friends that would come and visit me my college teammates and coaches that would come and visit me and i just had this insane support group around me that literally every minute of the day people were coming in and speaking life into me coming mm -hmm. in sometimes probably even lying to me and just be like hey joe it's gonna be okay and i'm like oh whatever but i think it was something that i absolutely needed at the time for people to come in and say joe you got this people to come in to say hey it's gonna be okay like friends at college instead of going out partying on a saturday night calling me and talking to me for three four hours while i'm laying in this hospital bed and it re it really like stoked a fire of my my already like positive personality but it just stoked a fire that maybe maybe this is gonna be okay Something happened about a month after 
staying in that hospital room and I'm still kind of wrestling with this whole trust the Lord thing with Proverbs three, five and six. And I'm still kind of wrestling with everything that's happening. Um, but we got a call from our local youth group, uh, pastor or friend. I'm not exactly sure who called me that night, but called and said, Hey, there's been an accident with, with Josh. He was 16. Um, so a little bit younger than me. And, and they said, Josh was, uh, was driving home from the state fair on a back road on a gravel road. He ended up getting thrown from the vehicle uh, in a crash and and broke his neck uh, and died on impact. And I remember thinking through that and just started sobbing, crying, realizing I had been given a second chance. Like that could have easily been me dead on impact the craziest thing about it and the thing that i didn't really realize and was just again mad i got about was the day before josh passed away he was talking to one of his friends saying hey i know where i'm gonna go if if i leave this earth do you witnessing at 16 years old at a state fair when most, you know, usually you're just running around trying to chase girls and, and get a funnel cake. But he's, right. he's uh, yeah, he's uh, speaking to people about their relationship with Jesus and about the reality of heaven and hell. And I remember going like, God, why, why, would, why would you take Josh? Like, I'm just, I'm just playing football and that was all I wanted to do. And he just started working on my heart. That was when my heart started to soften and he started working on it and said, I'm giving you a second chance, Joe, I'm giving you a second chance. Trust in me. Don't lean on your understanding. You're not going to understand it. Acknowledge me in all your ways and I'll direct your paths. And, um, that's when I started to realize, wow, this wheelchair, let me just jump in. Let, let's figure this thing out. Let's start, let's start to, you know what, let's start to, do physical therapy with a little bit more aggression. Let's start to do occupational therapy and figure this thing out. And, you know, I ended up spending three months in the hospital and then going home back to live with my parents, which, you know, at 19, that's just a dream come true. Yeah, right. No, it's not. But <laughs> and now that I have kids, I'm just like, no, I wouldn't want them to, to move back in when they're 19 either. But um, yeah, but uh, but moving back home and again, having a, a community around me, they had built me this addition onto my parents' home that was like its own little, you know, apartment with the, the, a bathroom and the, the, and the whole thing. And it was just really a labor of love that a bunch of people in the community provided for us and and. And so that was really important as well. But again, continuing to, to, to try to be independent, you know, it started with, it, it wasn't just me going from, Oh, I'm going to be in a wheelchair and now I'm a Paralympian. It was me going like, I'm in a wheelchair and I need to figure out how to put my socks on and figure out how to put my shorts on and how to put my shirt on and then figure out how to transfer and, and figure out how to push around the block. And, um, and you know, it starts with such small little steps. Everyone thinks it's a big giant leap of faith and it's not, it's just a step. From your initial diagnosis, has anything changed? No. So I basically function as a C6 and seven quadriplegic. That's incomplete, which means I like didn't sever my cord completely, but basically I, I don't have any movement in my legs. I can feel the bottom of my feet, but that's it. 
like I don't have any other feeling in, in my legs and, and no movement. Um, my hands don't work. So like I can extend my fingers out, but I cannot close my hand to make a fist or grip really anything. It was learning how to eat differently, learning how to use my hands differently since I didn't have hands that gripped anything and learning how to just do things differently and adapt to it. And, um, and a lot of that is just choice. You know, a lot of people will play the blame game at that point and be like, well, it wasn't my fault. I'm in the situation and I'm not going to figure it out. And, and it takes a certain attitude to just go, I'm going to fail over and over and over again, but I'm going to just continue to try to figure out a way to put my socks on and my shoes on and figure out a way to zip a backpack and figure out a way to, you know, whatever it is. And, um, and it's, it's that mentality that there is a way to do things, even if your hands don't work and can't move your legs. Wow. That's amazing. Are, are you able to travel by yourself? Yeah. And I know we'll talk about rugby. Yeah. You have said, and what you've done is really remarkable and all the, the things that, you know, most people would just completely don't even think about or take for granted with that athletic tenacity to just attack some of those things to prepare you for the rest of your life. You have said that you felt like Proverbs 3 and God was just giving you a whole second chance the biggest thing and we can get into the rugby stuff here in a second but the biggest thing that it did with the second chance was it started to soften my heart towards my dad Mm. and that started to come up he heard about did you get a talk with him about the accident so my grandpa who was still alive at the time had and i got to see him you know quite a bit and and it was you know my dad's dad and and he's like, hey, and, and his wife, uh, who wasn't my grandma, but his wife was like, if you ever want to go see your dad, this is where he's at type of thing. Just put it out there. And he knows that you're in a wheelchair and had an accident. We told him and, you know, we write to him a lot. And, and initially I'm like, there's no way. Like I've been through way too much. I like no way. And it just started to, you know, it's just crazy how God does this. And he puts little bits and pieces out for you to chew on and, you got a second chance. Why, why doesn't he? And I'm like, that's like sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, a millionth chance. It's different. And, and I'm like, and, 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 you know, and then you get these little things. And I talk, talk to uh, my girlfriend, who's my wife now, April. I'm like, April, what, should, should we go see my dad? And, and I'm like, I'm asking her, hoping that she's going to say no. Like, I need an ally in this whole deal. And she's like, that sounds like an amazing idea. You should absolutely, you know, I'll go with you. Let's do it. And when do you want to go? Should we go this Saturday or next Saturday? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and, and still wrestled with it and ended up going to see him. I ended up finally saying, okay, let's go do it. Thanksgiving of 2005, November of 2005 is when we went over to a local correction facility in Northwestern Wisconsin. And I go into the the jail and we had kind of like he knew we were coming and we had we had to get on a list to be a visitor and kind of told us like you know you need to bring some quarters for snacks and that whole thing but it'll be pretty easy so we get there and you know being what a year and a half out from my injury i still had no idea how to advocate for myself so i get in there and the, the security guards are like well you you can't go in your wheelchair and now I'd be like, well, no, these are my legs. Like, yes, I'm staying in my wheelchair. But then I'm like, okay. So I transfer into this giant, like, 
park bench with wheels on it type of thing. This big, huge hospital chair or whatever. And, and April has to wheel me in because I can't even wheel myself in that whole thing. And I'm just going like, oh my gosh, like this is not the way I want to like meet my dad for the first time in 15 years. So we get in there and we get some snacks. And then my dad comes out. He's in a, a green jumpsuit and he comes and sits down at the table across from me and and I look into his eyes and 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 that experience was something that that reconciliation that forgiveness is something that is just straight transformational from Jesus mm. I looked into his eyes and his eyes looked like mine his freckles looked like my freckles his features and personality quirks and the whole thing looked like me and we sat and had some popcorn and Skittles and some soda and talked. And, you know, it's, I, I, <laughs> we had a hard talk. I told him, you know, how hurt I was by what he did. But, and I also told him, hey, I got a second chance and I want to give you one. And that love that was shown that day wasn't mine or his or April's. It was, it was through the blood of Jesus. Mm. It was through only transformational power of Jesus can do. You know, maybe I was a vehicle that went there, but um, later, years, years and years later, he passed away in 2016. So we ended up getting 11 years together to, to, to reconcile and to have a relationship and to get to go to a Cubs game. We're both huge Cubs fans and went to a Cubs game together and sat in right field at Wrigley Field and got yeah. to do the father-son thing and Years and years later, I said, because he never messed up again, never had any problems with drugs, never had any problems with bad checks or anything like that. From that day forward? From that day forward. Wow. You know, served the rest of his time and got out. And and I said, what was the difference? And he said, <laughs> he said, uh, I finally felt loved. And uh, we never know how people feel. We never know how, we never know what kind of impact we make by simply being kind and showing love to people. And we see that over and over and over again in scripture. And I think a lot of times we make it so hard. You know, our, 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 our greatest commandment is to love our God with all your heart and soul and mind. And the second one is to love your neighbor. Full stop, period. We mess it up so, so much. And we let bitterness ride and, and move into our heart. We let resentment move into our heart. We let this stuff overwhelm us to the point that we don't have the capacity to show love to someone. And it's so beautiful when it does. And uh, for me, I feel like that was probably the one of the smartest things I've done besides, you know, marry my wife and is to be able to go and, 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 and spend that day at Thanksgiving in 2005 and reconcile with my dad. Cause I think if he would have passed in 2016 without me doing that, I would have a lot of regret, a lot of remorse. Wow. Joe, that's just remarkable. God's so good. I will never forget that you shared that. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm so glad you got the Cubs game too, though. I have to say that's <laughs> for you to get that father, because here's the, the thing that you don't, you didn't get to be 
your father's son for very long, you know, but yeah. you got it. You've got that because you've been the caretaker, right? You've been the yeah. caretaker. So yeah. what else was happening in your life at that time? I was, yeah. Yeah. At that time it was still, you know, a year to a year and a half out and trying to figure out life again. And I knew, you know, I started to become independent and it was, I was, we were 20 years old when I uh, proposed to April and, um, it, it went through all of that. We had broken up for a little while by we, I mean, I had broken up with her cause I was really dumb and, and thought like, Oh, I, I'm not sure if I love you enough and that whole thing. And then we broke up and I'm like, yes, I do like this. And, and, and we had broken up for about three months, but, and so one of the, I was like, I need to go back to college. I need to be able to provide for this, this girl. I need to be able to, you know, be independent and still wrestling with, with, who I was as a person still, what this wheelchair thing is going to look like. As far as sports went, I just thought they were off the table because I thought adaptive sports are pathetic. Like I'm not out for a hug. I'm competitive. I'm, you know, that big rough, tough football player. I'm six, six, 260 pounds. You're six, six. Yeah. Yeah. Bob. And there's no way like that's going to translate in adaptive or in the adaptive world. And, and it was again, someone in my life, that spoke into me. And I think it's just so important. Like, you know, a lot of people are like, Joe, you're inspiring or Joe, like you've done so much. And, and, and like, it's so important to have people around you that are real with you, that are vulnerable with you, that will keep you accountable. And Kyle one day is like, dude, we need to get you weighed. And I think probably Kyle and April and Adam probably talked like, Hey, this dude's, this dude's getting a little too big. He's not gonna be able to push himself or transfer. And with all the added weight and, because I was about 220 pounds out of the hospital, I'd lost a lot of weight. And so then going back home, I just, I ate a lot of my feelings. Kyle's like, let's weigh you. And we ended up going to the hospital, weighing me. I thought, I was like, your bed's broken. That's, I'm not 284 pounds. There's no way. And they're like, yes, you are. And I'm like, let's try to weigh me again. It said the same thing. And I'm just going, okay, Kyle, I get your point. And that's when I finally started to kind of like, man, maybe I need to look at wheelchair sports. I went back to college was helping out with the football team and was like, I don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to just be reminded of what I used to do. And mm. so I finally looked up wheelchair sports and looked up wheelchair basketball and realized I really couldn't play that with my function. Looked at wheelchair racing and I was like, that sounds really boring. I don't want to push around the circle. And finally found wheelchair rugby and saw these crippled people smashing into each other as hard as they could, trying to make each other more crippled. And I was like, this thing is so weird, right? Like what? And I was like, yeah, perfect. Sign me up. And found out that there was a, a team about two and a half hours away from Winona, Minnesota and Minneapolis, Minnesota, wow. a place called Curd Center. And I ended up going up there with April. We drove up there and got into a chair that night. They strap me all in. They there's we have like straps on our legs and our feet and our waist and our the whole thing. Um, that way, when we fall over, we're not yard sailed out like a big old like your body's going everywhere type of thing. And yeah, no one wants to scrape that off the floor. So we we're strapped into our chairs and that whole thing. And um, and I remember you know going up and down the court and passing the ball and and pushing up and down and my, my lungs are starting to fill up with air like an athlete's would and my body's getting hot and realized through that night that I got to be an athlete again. Like, it, like I was a big out of shape, terrible athlete, but I was an athlete again. And that night changed my life. And then there was also these group of guys that I could talk to about 
Like, how do you guys use this catheter? How do you guys transfer into your cars like that? How do you take apart your chair by yourself? How do you like, like a one-stop shop for rehab that I didn't get at rehab? Like it was a, a way for me to have a support group for a 19 year old kid that did not want to be in a support group with anyone type of deal. So it ended up being a beautiful thing. And then a thing where, you know, the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Like he knows you because he made you. And it was like, wow, I get to be an athlete again. And at that point I didn't know, had no clue that I was going to, you know, to be a Paralympian or uh, win a bunch of medals or whatever it would be. But that athletic identity came back in a good way where, you know, Jesus was first and athlete, athletics was second. But then I was like, wow, I can set some goal. Let's set some goals. Let's start losing weight. Let's start getting in shape. Oh, wow. There's a national team for wheelchair rugby and they play at the Paralympics. And I watched them in Beijing and they won gold. And, and I was like, I want to do that. And so I started to set up goals to be able to do that. And then made my first national team and, 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 was able to make London in 2012 after working my butt off. And in April and I moved down to Phoenix to, to train with three Paralympians. And, wow. and so like just completely moved our life that way. And things kind of started happening in the sport all because of that one practice that changed my life. So you've gotten to go to Olympics a couple of times and now you have kids. Can you bring us up to speed with where you're at now? We have uh, three babies, uh, nine, seven, and five. Braxton's nine, Braden's seven, and Brinley's five. Mo live in Wisconsin now. We we moved to Arizona for eight years, then moved back to Wisconsin to be closer to family, and um, and then training for the Tokyo twenty twenty one games. They're twenty twenty, and then obviously with COVID um, twenty twenty one, so we're about a hundred days away. Um, when we're recording this right now, there's about eleven days until we find out who's selected to the team. Ooh. Um, which is exciting. So, so yeah, so it's been a, a really cool ride. I've been on the national team for 13 years, a captain for eight years and, and, and it was cut in, in Rio. And that's like a whole nother podcast. I feel like we've been, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it was during that just quickly, it was during that failure where God reminded me that my value and my worth are tied to a medal. My value and my worth aren't tied to an outcome that a scoreboard says I'm a winner or a loser. My value and worth is in whose I am and what he did on the cross for me. Um, and I think a lot of times we we like to, even as Christians, we kind of forget like we work hard at it, which is great. Like work ethic is good. Uh, working hard at something is good. Goal setting is good. But if we're, you know, on the hamster wheel and we're going, 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 like we got to just realize like we're a child of God. Like he loves you through yeah. your failure. He loves you through your faults. He loves you through your sin. He loves you through your insecurities, your inadequacies or whatever are there for you at that moment doesn't make you make him love you any, any less or any more. Um, and I think it's a reminder that we need. And then I just wanted to close with this. That 19 year old kid was, was in his hospital bed begging for a sign, a toe to move, a leg to twitch something and looking back god gave me a theme of threes to show me that he had a plan for me that back when he said trust in the lord with all your heart don't lean on your understanding joe you're not going to understand this uh acknowledge me and i'll direct your paths i got a path for you i have a plan for you i have a purpose for you when i was 13 years old god said i'm going to be a speaker 
Six years later, I break my neck. A week before on July 3rd, I get that verse, Proverbs mm. 3. I'm training for my third Paralympics. I didn't know if I was going to have kids. I didn't know if I was going to have passion or purpose. Third Paralympics, a theme of threes. God gave me three babies when we tried for five years. I didn't know if I was going to be able to have kids as a quadriplegic. We have three babies naturally. I ended up having to get a vasectomy because that, that shop just runs way too well. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> at 33 years old, I stepped into obedience to be a speaker 20 years later after he called me into it. Wow. God gave me a theme of threes to say, Joe, I've, I had a plan for you all along. Get in the wheelchair. I have a plan for you. You wanted to be walking around, but I've got plan and I got a plan and I got a purpose for your paralysis. Go and spread this message and this story to as many people that will listen as possible. This theme of threes is going to open people's eyes to see that they can have permanent victory in Jesus, that they're not defined by a circumstance or an outcome or an obstacle or failures in life or things going wrong. They are defined by who I am and, de and defined by the reaction to their failure. Because when we fail and we do it all the time, we can react in a positive way that says, no, this isn't who I am. This sin doesn't define me. This, this, this feeling that I have right now of insecurity or inadequacy doesn't define me people calling me less than or, uh, or, or unworthy or not valuable or not good enough, you know, forever is listening and you've gone through something like that. That's not you. That's not who God's called you to be. You're a child of God. Your identity is in Jesus. You are worthy because he says you are worthy. So get up and react in that way. It's powerful when you say, I am a child of God go and do what your purpose to do go and do it god has a plan for you before we seal up the envelope on this story of encouragement i have prepared bonus material for you that we like to call the ps sure to make you smile and be moved within your heart as you see a bit more of the heart and personality of our guest here is your ps are you ready for some bonus questions, Joe? Let's do it. All right. Do you have any hidden talents or party tricks? I, I'm, I'm a pretty decent singer. It's kind of like the hidden talent that I, I whip Ooh. out every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Any national anthem? Are they trying, have, they, have you sung at any of the... I, I did it in high school before a basketball game. I don't think I've ever done it for rugby, though, no. What was your best sports moment? The one that just really you're most proud of, I guess. Yeah, making making 2012. I remember, and it wasn't even like the game or anything like that, but the selection and making it. And we had worked so hard for it. April and I moved uh, to Phoenix and moved away. And then in in, in January uh, 2012, had our our son Braxton, and then being able to make this team and remember kind of the culmination of everything was like, wow. I mean, I just cried like a baby, called my mom and called April. I, I was like kind of incoherent with, she's like, so did you make it or not? And I was like, yes, yes, I made it. Yes, I made it. And um, so it was, it was an amazing moment and a culmination of a lot of hard work and ended up losing not close to 90 pounds to get in shape, to be able to do it. And 
Wow. And so that was that was probably my favorite. All right. What was your worst sport? <laughs> Did you have a worst sports moment? Yeah. So my worst sports moment was 2012 as well. <laughs> it was playing Team Canada in the semifinal to go to the gold medal game. We were ranked number one from 2005 all the way to 2012. So heavy favorites going into the wow. tournament. Ended up losing by one point to go to the gold medal game. Uh, we were down by eight in the first quarter, fought all the way back. So, like, it was the anti-Disney movie, I call it. So, like, we got we were down by eight, fought all the way back. Fourth quarter, it's a tie game. We get one more turnover. All we got to do is go to score and win. Like, there's the theme music, the Chariots of Fire theme music's playing, the whole thing. Like, they're going to make a movie. Uh, the whole, And we ended up turning the ball over. Canada goes to score. Mm. They win. We lose. We have to go to the, the brown poopy metal game and and just devastation i can laugh about it and it's and and that bronze medal means so much to me now but for a long long time like it just i thought it was a failure because of it and, and we all thought we were failures because of it but in in reality you look at that and bronze means something devastated happened and you reacted in a positive way and got that medal anyway like the very next day you have to go out and put that behind you and go win um and that's what we did and so how has your injury affected how you parent joe like for the most part, not a whole lot, but there's definitely some things with being a dad, especially being some of the masculine things can really get me down. You know, whether it's throwing a ball with my kids and I can't throw that far and trying to figure it out or or kids saying stuff and 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 I don't really care about it, but maybe my kids are like, mm -hmm. oh, like you know, and or, or figuring out different ways to to do things. But for me, I've always had an attitude like, figure it out and adapt and do it. I, I stayed at home with my two boys for two years, being the primary caretaker uh, while my wife worked. So I changed diapers, did the whole thing and and, and got through it. They're, they're still alive. <laughs> Yay. So, yeah, but definitely, definitely some like feelings of insecurity and inadequacy pop up and I got to just give those over to God and, and make sure that, you, nope, that's not me. That's, you know. I would guess in the long run, your kids are going to respect you even more for that because just really in your your daily routine is probably way way harder than other people what is it that takes extra long or what is it that people don't know about being in a wheelchair it's like oh being in a wheelchair must be hard it must be hard to push a wheelchair around it's not like that that's kind of the easy part uh every day i get up and i never look at the chair and go like oh can i get in the wheelchair again but the everyday activities take a while for me to get up and get dressed and go do something takes longer than the average human being unless it's the woman that's sitting in her closet and deciding what to wear for an hour no, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding don't send me uh, bad emails yeah. uh so no it's 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 some you know i have to i have to do intermittent calfing you know five to six times a day to empty my bladder because i can't pee on my own or i had to figure out how to do bowel management i had to do a bowel program for a long time but then realized that with with healthy eating and learning my body like i i go to the bathroom naturally that way with the with the whole number two so that that was a big deal but showering takes longer you know like dressing takes longer so the average person can do that and all probably about 30 minutes it takes me about an hour to an hour and a half to do so it's in a way i don't have as many hours during the day to I see. Well, do you feel like you have all the tools, though, because you have some feeling in your hands? So do you have like tools that you have to attach or like, I don't know, I might not even put them on there. I'm just curious, like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there at first there's like these hooks and like different things and different apparatuses. But it 
I found it easiest to just learn how to use my hand to kind of hook into my pants and pull them up and um, do stuff without the tools because the tools just got in the way. And and so that's kind of how I learned. So there's probably some people that do it differently. But um, and then, yeah, just asking guys like, well, how do you get dressed in your chair? I always have to get dressed in bed. Or how do you get dressed in, you know, on, on a different chair or like whatever it would be? And how do you put your legs to put your shoes on? And just just being curious and asking questions. So. And for our listeners who can't really see what I see, I'm looking at Joe in this interview and he's got headset and um, he's going to be doing podcasting and he's got a microphone and all these super cool things. It seems like, like, you know, when we met on Clubhouse, like you do everything that everyone else does. It just takes you longer. And, you know, there's some pieces that you, you don't have, but it seems like you're, you do just about everything. Yep. Yeah. Completely independent. Can travel on my own. Like don't need my wife or a nurse or anything when to like take care of me and learn how to transfer in bathtubs. And so I wouldn't necessarily have to bring in like a shower chair with me or anything like that. And so stuff like that's really important for me to, to be able to. Is there anything that would be helpful for people to know that maybe wasn't helpful when, you know, whether it's something people say to you or, you know, like what, what would be helpful for people to know to how to support people in wheelchairs? Yeah. So there's this whole deal. Okay. So I call it, I call it inspirational porn. That's what I call it. Oh like, my. Okay. It's well, it's, it's basically if you're saying, well, you're inspiring because you're in a wheelchair. Like it's like, oh. that's not true inspiration, right? Like that's just, yes. that's just you looking at someone that's in a chair and going like, well, my life doesn't suck as much as, much as theirs. Like it's, it's kind of like awful to say, but I think if a lot of people are like, oh, you must be so inspiring. It's like, well, I've met a lot of people in wheelchairs that aren't like that are just. And so I think it's just going like seeing the person as a person first, wheelchair second and going like, all right, well, what do they do and how do they do it? And maybe you find something inspiring about them, but not just not just going, well, man, you're just so inspiring and then rubbing my head type of deal, which a lot of people have done over the years. They just kind of pat my head and I'm like, I'm a grown man. Why are you rumbling? stop doing that? Or coming up and like touching my wheelchair. Like I would never come up oh. and be like, I, I'd see Meg walking up steps and start pushing you and be like, you look like you need some help. And like that, like no one would do that. But with a wheelchair, they're like, well, you look like you're struggling. It's like, well, actually, no, I'm not. And so just asking the question, you know, I think for me, sometimes I'm like, man, I really, I, yes, I would love some help. But if when someone asks me the question, they empower me to answer instead of if they just do it, they completely, I, I, I lose all power in the situation. Yeah. You know, isn't it that that's the, I think one of my greatest lessons in life, but just it's listening. Yeah. Being yeah. in the moment and paying attention, read the mm. room, see what's going on. It's not helpful if you're, if you're not, you know, if you just step in like that. Anyway, that's so good, Joe. It sounds like you really had a great group of people that came alongside you and and just you have a lot of experiences speaking in different churches. What would you say is the greatest need in the church today? I have a heart for discipleship, like true discipleship. And I think a lot of times in church, we try to make it a program or a group or whatever. And, and like true discipleship isn't that hard. Just doing life together. And, and like the steps are pretty easy. Being vulnerable and accountable is the hard part. And, and I think is if we can do that in a vulnerable and accountable way with discipleship, like our churches 
will grow and we'll see revival through that. Absolutely. Is there a character or person in the Bible that you really admire or relate to? I relate to the whole Moses thing when Moses is, you know, I mean, he's got like, he's got it all. Like if you, and, and, you know, you read through Exodus and the dude's like, all right, you get the burning bush, bro. Like you like <laughs> step into obedience, man, like be faithful. God showed up as a burnt and, and, and then he's still, but you, you, it's so real when you think about it and you think mm -hmm. about maybe for me going, you know, I'm 13 and you're going to be a speaker and it took me 20 years to figure it out. A lot of times when you have a calling or a purpose, you're like, just send someone else. Hey, hey, my guy, uh, Aaron, he, he's pretty good. At like, send him, you know, are you like, well, you know, Moses is like, ah, you know, I'm not very good at speaking. I stutter a little bit and, or, or send me a sign or a miracle or like, we're always asking. And, and so I can just relate with Moses where it just seems like, man, you're such a real human in this moment. And I feel a lot of us can relate to like that old thing where we're just kind of arguing a little bit and going like, and we, and we, you know, the insecurity of, well, I, I can't do it without like the staff that's going to turn into a snake. I need one of those. I need like, you know, the little thing. Oh, that's, that's so good. And so Joe, I'm sure a ton of people want to book you for speaking because what you've shared in your heart for Christ and what God's done in your life is just uh, incredible. So oh, I know your website's www.joedelagrave.com. joedelagrave.com. Is there somewhere else or any input you would want to give anyone who might want to book you? Yeah, jump over the DMs at jdelagrave14 on Instagram, um, joedelagrave over on Twitter. Uh, Facebook page is open, joe.delagrave, LinkedIn, the whole thing. So I think I'm pretty much everywhere except TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. Well. I'm not doing the TikTok thing. Cool factor just went down to how old are you, Joe? 36. I don't know. Maybe this yeah. is something you have to tackle. I don't know. Just TikTok. No, I didn't. Yeah. TikTok either. Yeah. I, mean, I just thought I'm, I'm, I'm most active on Instagram. I, Twitter I'll get on, but then I don't know. Sometimes I'm over on Twitter and I'm like, everyone's so angry over here. Why is everyone <laughs> angry over on, on the Twitter? So anyway. I get off there, but yeah. Yeah. And, and he's got a great Instagram. I highly recommend check out Joe's Instagram. It's encouraging. I was actually crying reading some of his posts from other rugby players and inspiring people in his life. It's just been really great to read about. So thank you. Joe, what would you say, and this is the last question, what would you say is the great message and theme of your life? I think that my message that, that, that I want to get across is that there's a lot of things that happen in life, whether it's the circumstances, whether it's the obstacles, whether it's disability or disease or addiction or like whatever that big thing, divorce happens in life, it doesn't define you. You're not less than, you're not unworthy, you're not who that sin says you are at that point or the enemy wants to get you to think you are. You're a child of God. You're loved. Even if you don't know God, you're loved. He made you uniquely you with a purpose, with passions that he knows about. And I want people to know about that. I was in a point where I thought I was less than and unworthy and disabled and not enough and inadequate. And I realized, no, I'm not. Like this wheelchair has been a miracle in my life that has taken me through life and giving me many, many blessings. And yeah, there's tough times, hard times, but 
because there's a God that loves me, because there's a God that says I am a child of God, I've been able to step into permanent victory. Not a scoreboard that defines me or one circumstance that defines me, but I have permanent victory because of God and what he did on the cross for me. I trust Joe has encouraged you greatly. Isn't it remarkable that strength and determination that God worked in his heart to do something about it for that second chance? And just seeing that deep gratefulness that led him to a drive to do all that he could with the limited physical ability that he had. Also, just thinking of that moment when he visited his father in the prison and the forgiveness and his dad's words saying that he felt so loved. He didn't know what it felt like. And I love that Joe said, we never know what an act of kindness will do. And I'm just praying for us all today that we step out in faith, that we bless, that we're forgiving, that we don't let hopelessness settle in, no matter what the circumstance, that we trust God in greater and bigger ways for us and for all of those that we're praying for. Oh, and a quick update. Joe did make the Tokyo Olympic team. How cool is that? Go follow him and watch him. And we'll just celebrate alongside him and his family for all the great things God is doing. Go Team Jesus! As a podcast listener, do you sometimes struggle with, where should I listen? Which app on my phone was I at? Or where was I? Struggle no more. Letters from Home Podcast has our own app in the Google Play and Apple App Store. And guess what? It's free. Just search Letters from Home Podcast in the search bar in your phone's app store and click download. How about that? Then all of our everyday extraordinary faith stories will be right there in one easy place on your phone so you don't have to go searching anymore. You can just tap the rainbow icon and encouragement is on the way. Links from our guests will be in the show notes. For more everyday extraordinary faith stories, go to our website, lettersfromhomepodcast.com, and click subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're listening to. 2 Corinthians 3.3 And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Until next time. Thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a minute to let you know that just like you and your family, Purposely is also part of a family, the Krista Family of Ministries. Krista helps kids and teens learn and grow in their faith at King Schools and Miracle Ranch Camp. And Krista shares Jesus with people in the poorest, most remote places through world concern. Krista Senior Living is a community of love and care, and Krista Media is a place of hope on the radio. God is changing lives through these five ministries, and Krista is on mission to share the good news of Jesus. To learn more, visit krista.org.